This is Smart Politics, and I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. Smart Politics helps you make sense of the news. The stakes in politics are real, and it's important that we think clearly about the issues that matter most. This is part two of my series about the war in Afghanistan. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, then I recommend you do. In that episode, I cover the modern history of the country while trying to paint a fuller picture of what Afghanistan is really like. For this episode, I'm going to take the same approach to the war itself. Over the last two decades, the primary way that we've discussed the war is in terms of dollars. We're all familiar with the speeches highlighting the money spent. And we've all heard the pundits noting that if we had used that money on domestic causes, just think of what could have been accomplished. Often, it sounded like our political leaders are describing a bad financial investment. It's true, of course, that the war was expensive. Two trillion dollars is real money. But wars aren't just about dollars spent. They aren't financial transactions. The real cost of the war is one that we haven't yet grappled with. The cost in terms of lives lost and destroyed. The cost to our psyche as a nation and to the stability of the country we invaded. The cost to our prestige. Once you appreciate the full cost to both sides, you realize that the money spent while significant was the cheap part. So on this episode, I'm going to focus less on the money and more on everything else. If we're to have any hope of learning valuable lessons from the last 20 years, then it must start with understanding the price that was paid. Let's begin. Imagine a day, an ordinary work day. You wake up, shower, brush your teeth, get a bite for breakfast. You help your kids get ready for school, say goodbye to your significant other, and go to work. And you have an ordinary day at work. You groan and complain, chat with your coworkers, look forward to going home at the end of your shift. All in all, it's just another day. But on the way home from this most ordinary of days, you're killed. A bomb destroys your car. Your partner is now a widow. Your kids are now missing a parent. And when they try to figure out why this happened, the only thing they're greeted with is an acknowledgement that your death, while tragic, serves a larger purpose. That your death was somehow necessary. That scenario, while dark, is still far too rosy of a picture compared to the reality in Afghanistan. There's a recent story about an aid worker who was killed along with seven children, or the story from two years ago about the 30 people killed while returning from harvesting pine nuts. To really illustrate the horror, I want to read an excerpt from a recent article in The New Yorker. But in 2019, as the U.S. was holding talks with Taliban leaders in Doha, Qatar, the Afghan government and American forces moved jointly on Sangin one last time. 
That January, they launched perhaps the most devastating assault that the Valley witnessed in the entire war. Shakira and other villagers fled for the desert, but not everyone could escape. Ahmed Noor Mohammed, who owned a payphone business, decided to wait and to evacuate because his twin sons were ill. His family went to bed to the sound of distant artillery. That night, an American bomb slammed into the room where the twin boys were sleeping, killing them. A second bomb hit an adjacent room, killing Muhammad's father and many others, eight of them children. The next day, at the funeral, another airstrike killed six mourners. In a nearby village, a gunship struck down three children. The following day, four more children were shot dead. Elsewhere in Sanpian, an airstrike hit an Islamic school, killing a child. A week later, 12 guests at a wedding were killed in an air raid. According to some estimates, we carried out 13,000 drone strikes in Afghanistan over 20 years, which breaks down to exactly 650 strikes a year. That means for 20 straight years, the United States, on average, struck somewhere every single day. Every day. It didn't matter who the president was. It didn't matter who controlled Congress. We rained death and destruction from the safety of a robot down on the people of, of Afghanistan with far too little regard for their well-being. But it wasn't just limited to drone strikes. There were civilians shot while performing everyday tasks. Errant mortar strikes are retaliating against the insurgent forces who were attacking us. The presence of security checkpoints that silently promised the possibility of violence should you do something deemed dangerous. The definition of which was entirely arbitrary. Add it all together, there have been more than 70,000 civilian deaths in Afghanistan, a number which is likely far lower than the reality. This is what it means to occupy a nation. And that's what we were, an occupying force. Now, I'm no naive fool. I remember the events of 9-11. I understand the rationale and the burning desire behind it that led us to invade in the first place. I recognize that we were traumatized, afraid, and wounded, and that in our fear and anger, we saw an outlet and a target. In the week after those terrible events, George Bush promised that we would hunt down those responsible, showing no distinction between the perpetrators and those hiding them, that those responsible would be hearing from us soon. Through one lens, those words sound defiant, possibly even inspirational, certainly understandable. But looking back, I'm struck by an altogether different thought. There's a quote attributed to Confucius that says, before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. The meaning of the quote is simple. On your quest for vengeance, you may kill the person who wronged you, but in the process, you'll destroy yourself so completely 
that you too will be destroyed. It's not your body that's at risk though. It's your soul. Vengeance is a corrosive motivation and indulging it will inevitably lead to your own corruption. And when you look at the price we paid, I do think that this war and what it did to our own psyche destabilized us far more than we realize. In the military operation since 9-11, there have been a total of 7,057 personnel killed. This figure is what has led many of us to believe that our war on terror has been a relatively bloodless one for us. However, over those same 20 years, there have been more than 30,000 suicides by active duty personnel and veterans. Yes, it's true that not all of those are veterans of this particular war. But the fact that we don't have precise reporting on the number is a reflection of the callousness that has been present from the start. That's the danger of revenge. The attitude that we took towards civilian deaths in Afghanistan is the same attitude that we took towards suicides here at home. And that wasn't the only area in which we turned a blind eye to suffering. Over the first decade or so of the war, we engaged in what we euphemistically called enhanced interrogation techniques, more appropriately known as torture. We also engaged in a practice called extraordinary rendition, which involved forcibly transferring somebody without legal process from one government to another, always for the purpose of detention, interrogation, and sometimes torture. This practice is, at its core, state-sponsored kidnapping. There's a reason that we gave these actions such dry-sounding names. When you say the words torture and kidnapping, you have made it obvious that what's happening is wrong. Calling it something plain, almost scientific, you lend it an air of credibility, or at least deniability. You can remove the fact of human suffering from it. To pull such a thing off requires you to either see other people as subhuman, or it requires that their trauma remain hidden. But the actions that we took abroad eventually brought shame to us. The feelings of pride and resolve that many felt eventually soured into feelings of disappointment and then resentment. As the war dragged on, the money wasted and the bodies destroyed piled up. At a certain point, it became clear that America had lost its way. And we became furious with the leaders who we held responsible. Ultimately, the price that America paid wasn't really about money. Two trillion dollars over 20 years is nothing for a country of our size. What it cost us was our moral authority. Institutions that were supposed to represent the best of us didn't. Media organizations that were supposed to tell us the truth failed to do so. Values such as liberty and freedom, the very things we claim to be delivering to the people of Afghanistan were trampled. We wanted to portray ourselves as liberators, but instead we became something else. The war in Afghanistan and the tragedy 
that resulted from it had many victims, soldiers, civilians, hope. And with its end, we closed the book on a sad chapter in American history. But our series isn't over yet. In the next episode, I look to the future. What's the potential fate of Afghanistan and the people who live there? What lessons, if any, have we learned? And how have the last 20 years changed the nature of warfare itself? Join me on my next episode. That was Smart Politics, a podcast on the Pointcast Network. I hope that you feel a little closer, a little more concerned, and a little more curious about what the person next to you might be going through. Take it easy out there, everybody.